0: Welcome back. Today on the show, we'll do something different. I will play an episode from a different podcast, The SD Show, and the conversation is between SD and her husband, Abraham Shainan. The discussion delves into the Israeli political system, highlighting the significant role and influence of the Supreme Court. I had a different episode in mind for this week, but it it isn't ready in time. But I listened to this episode on The St Show, a business podcast that focuses on product and market solutions. I found this episode to be very educational. I wanted to share it with you. It works out. If this original episode will be ready in time, I might drop a second one this week. But I'm making no promises because... All my time and energy is going into this concert that I'm putting on in Israel. And I haven't put on a concert in a few years, so I'm writing a completely brand new show. Most of the music will be new music. And here we go.
1: Today, we dive into the heated debate surrounding Israel's Supreme Court. This week's decision to overturn part of the contested judicial reform reignited the conversation and brought it back to the top of the news. Prior to the October 7th war, this issue of the judicial reform and months of protest against it dominated Israeli and international news. While my Hebrew is not advanced enough to catch all the media and online debates in Hebrew, I witnessed the significant divide it created. Both Arvin, my husband and I have many family members who live in Israel. And here's what we're seeing families that are usually united at dinner tables suddenly found themselves on opposite sides of the debate. Siblings could be seen leaving the same apartment, heading to opposing demonstrations. One to protest the reform with the Israeli flag, the other sibling with the same Israeli flag to counter-protest and support the reform. Tensions ran high on WhatsApp chats and online forums. The closest parallel I can think of is the pre-2020 U.S. election atmosphere, with stark lines drawn between pro- and anti-Trump voices. Listening to bloggers, podcasters, and analysts, a clear narrative emerged. Countless articles argued that the Supreme Court stands as the last bastion of democracy. And this quote-unquote ultra-right Netanyahu government and quote-unquote religious fanatics, aim to crush it by reforming the court. Their view holds that passing the reforms would be the death knell of Israeli democracy. An independent judiciary plays a vital role in upholding the rule of law, protecting individual rights, and ensuring government accountability. The proposed reforms would undoubtedly change the judicial landscape, and concerns about their potential impact are causing unrest. Frankly, had I not been married to Arvin, an avid consumer of Israeli news and an independent and brilliant thinker, chances are I would have had the same understanding. However, there's one key thing that this narrative was overlooking, and that's this. Why is a significant portion of Israel in a democracy-loving nation voting for a government with a decisive majority of 64 seats that specifically campaigned to enact this judicial reform? Additionally, why is trust in the Supreme Court in Israel at an all time low of 41%? This is from 2022. Back in 2017, the trust in the Supreme Court was at 58%. So it seems we have two main narratives. One narrative, and that's the louder narrative, is being told by the media and the protesters. And the other narrative is being told by the electorate, by the voters who are telling the story with their votes. Today, we aim to explore an alternative perspective on the proposed reforms, delve into the reasons behind them and consider potential future scenarios. Where does all of this lead? This is our first foray into this topic, not the typical stuff I cover here, and your feedback is always appreciated. Before we begin, three disclaimers. Firstly, this is a conversation between me and Arvin. Who is my husband? Secondly, we're not self proclaimed experts. Arvin, having grown up in Israel and moved to the US after our 2016 marriage, follows Israeli politics as a hobby. Finally, all opinions expressed are our own. With that, let's dive into the complex and fascinating world of Israeli judicial reform. Hi, Arvin. Hi, Esti. Let's tell the audience a few words about yourself and your background and where you're coming at this from.
2: Sure. I'm born and raised Israeli. Uh, I was born in Jerusalem and I grew up in Israel. I went to school in Israel. I did my bachelor's degree in Israel after I finished three years in the military. Having served on the border of Gaza for two years, that feels relevant given the current events. Right after school, I married the love of my life was interviewing me right now when I moved to New York. And I've always been interested in uh, politics and understanding what's driving the, the forces that I see on the news. And I can say that I've done some research on many aspects of that over the years. In my professional life, I am a computer scientist, a data scientist, so nothing academic. But Google is a great resource for many other things. And I just came to learn about what is going on, what are the theories behind what is going on, And that brought me to some realizations and conclusions that I think we're going to discuss today.
1: Yeah, and for everyone, my family members love hearing from Arvind, even if they vehemently disagree. On weekends and holidays, it's very common to see people gathering around him to hear his perspective on current events. Speaking of current events, let's get around to what happened this week in the news.
2: So last week, I guess, depends how you count. There was a precedent in which a basic law or rather two basic laws were struck down. Ex- one was struck down completely. The other was uh, delayed in uh, implementation for the next term of the next Knesset, essentially. But the precedent is in the fact that both are basic laws, not regular Israeli law, but basic laws that are equivalent to our constitution. Imagine the Supreme Court in America would say, I don't know, suffrage, unconstitutional, struck down. Women cannot Women vote. Cannot vote. <laughs> That's basically the legal equivalence.
1: The Supreme Court struck down to of what we're calling basic laws that the Knesset passed this summer, correct? Correct, yes. And for the sake of this conversation, does it matter what those two laws that they struck down are? Or should we get into the background first of what are basic laws? Does Israel have a constitution? How is the Supreme Court elected? And maybe we come back to the actual laws in the end.
2: I think that's a good course of uh, action.
1: Okay. Let's take a little bit of a step back and get through a few definitions. In America, we have a constitution. It has amendments.
2: 24, I believe.
1: Does Israel have a constitution? And what are basic laws?
2: So Israel does not have a constitution. Israel has basic laws. And a short history class here is in 1948, right after the state was uh, established, there had been an attempt to establish and to agree upon a set of rules, a set of basic laws that would constitute a, a constitution. And they never reached an agreement in the first Knesset. And so they decided to legislate in chapters essentially one by one the basic laws that eventually will be compiled into one constitution that will become the israeli constitution 1995 the supreme court started using these basic laws that have never become formally a constitution as a a de facto constitution you have the basic law of the government you have the basic law of the courts you have the basic law of the army you have the basic law of uh, the knesset and you have uh, two basic laws of human rights the human dignity and uh, freedom of occupation Based on all of the above, the Supreme Court started uh, implementing judicial review over the Knesset.
1: What is judicial review? Is that something that happens in America? How does a law even come to a state of being in judicial review?
2: Sure. We all know the job of the executive is to execute, not execute people, (laughs) unless you live in North Korea. But to do stuff, and then you have the legislative, its job is to legislate and you have the courts, their job is really to determine who's right and who's wrong in the uh, eyes of the law. And the question is whether the court also has the power to arbitrate between the other two branches of government and citizens. Mostly the, the answer is yes, because the other two branches of, of government need to also follow the laws that are enacted by the legislature. That's the, the more traditional form of judicial review. Judicial review, just in practice, is the judiciary has power to review the actions of the uh, executive and the legislature. Uh, then we have the, leg- the judicial review we're talking about right now, which is whether new laws being enacted are aligned with previous laws and more, more accurately with laws that are in a higher legal status. In America, we're talking about the Constitution. In Israel, we're talking about the basic laws. This is review.
1: And does it happen automatically, or does someone have to file a lawsuit? Because my understanding is that in the States, if a law passes in Congress, and let's say it's in conflict with the Constitution, number one, the Supreme Court takes a very limited amount of cases, but someone would have to sue, and it would have to go through the courts, and go up the chain until the Supreme Court would rule and then potentially strike it down. Is that process similar in Israel?
2: That's a very good question. It is similar. It is dissimilar. It is similar in the sense that, yes, somebody needs to sue. Courts, even the court in Israel is still, quote unquote, passive. It cannot decide to discuss any issue. You still need to have somebody appeal to the court. That's where basically the similarity ends. In America, you have to have what's called standing. So you have to actually prove that you were damaged or hurt by uh, either the decision of the executive or the law that was legislated by the legislative. In Israel, I mentioned before that since the 90s, the courts started to apply judicial review over the other two branches. Another thing they changed, and when I say they, it, is, it was headed by Aharon Barak, the former Supreme Court President, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, if you want to use the American terms. And another thing he said and implemented is basically eliminating the standing. You don't need standing anymore because using his terminology, hakol shafit in Hebrew, which means everything is judiciable. I was thinking judgeable. Judgeable, yeah. Which means that anybody can sue the, the Knesset or the government. You don't really need to prove that, that you were hurt. You can say somebody was hurt. Okay. And the, and the court will take it. If they actually want to. And that's where it's similar again to the Supreme, American Supreme Court. If they actually want to make a decision on a case to interpret the Constitution in one way or another.
1: Okay. Up until now, it sounds like the role of the Supreme Court is quite similar with, with some differences number one, that the Supreme Court has the ability to strike down a law as long as it's in conflict with a previously enacted supreme law. In the U.S., that would be a constitution. In Israel, that would be in conflict with a basic law. We like to talk in America about, quote-unquote, an independent Supreme Court. And what we mean by that is that the supreme justices, their roles are essentially forever. They're
2: they're unfireable.
1: They're unfireable. So they could act the way that they deem is correct. However, the way the Supreme Justices are confirmed and appointed is tied to the electoral system, right? Because the president who's elected by the people is the one who appoints the candidate for the Supreme Court and then the Senate also voted in by the people is the one to confirm or not to confirm the candidate for the Supreme Court. So even though it's an independent, quote-unquote, independent position, it's still tied to the voter in some sense. There's still a connection to the voter. In Israel, how does the Knesset or the elected government or the prime minister correlate to the Supreme Justice? Is the prime minister the one to appoint? The Supreme Justices, how many Supreme Justices are there? How does that whole process look?
2: That's a great question again. In America, since there is a constitution, an agreed-upon constitution, with over 200 years of agreed tradition of judicial review based on the constitution, and even before that actually, the supreme justices are appointed, like you said, politically, meaning they're nominated by the president and are confirmed by the Senate. In Israel, it is nothing like that. There is a committee that is consisted of nine people, five of which are unelected officials. So three are sitting supreme justices. Two are representatives of the bar. So the, the lawyers bar and only the other four are politicians, one of which has to be from the opposition. Which means that in a committee of nine people, only three are actually representing the ruling party or the ruling coalition in Israel. Now, another thing is that you need a majority of seven of these committee members to appoint or to confirm uh, an appointment of a new justice, uh, Supreme Court justice. And since the sitting justices have three seats, And these seats are, by the way, um, chosen by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. It means that the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court has a veto power over who's joining its own court, which some would say probably that is not the most democratic or the best way to appoint people to positions of power, definitely with so much power to have so much say over what the other two branches of government can or cannot do.
1: Effectively, the four... Knesset members who are on the committee can maybe have an influence who's put up for confirmation, but don't really have any power in terms of saying who will be confirmed.
2: Correct. They don't really. At most, you can say, since you have three from the coalition, you can say that they also have a veto power. But history shows us that, for the most part, the candidates of the Supreme Court are being elected. If those candidates completely are elected, it's people who are leaning to the same ideals. Just as a side note, the decision to strike down one of the basic laws from the other week was accepted at a quorum of 815, which is the full amount, the full number of, of the Supreme Court, eight to seven, eight voted to, uh, to strike down, seven voted not to strike down. but this't this one second. Yes but this doesn't tell the whole story. The whole story is that 12 of which said that the Supreme Court has the power to strike down basic laws, not just regular laws, basic laws I, the. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. during the parallel back to the american system does the supreme court in america have a right to strike down an amendment to the constitution no so in america how does an amendment to the constitution get stricken down if that's even the thing
2: in america it doesn't in america the power of the supreme court to perform judicial review is drawn from the constitution So in Israel, if until now the the Supreme Court could say that they're drawing their power to perform judicial review over regular laws from the basic laws, now they're basically saying, we don't have a basis for our power, but we do it anyway because we think that's the right thing to do. Some of them try to rationalize, and the funny thing is there's eight people voting to strike down, and you have about eight different explanations for why this is fine, which means that there is not even agreement on why, on like the... Uh, The The rationale. And the rationale and logic behind it, yes.
1: Is this the first time in Israeli history that a basic law is being struck down?
2: Yes, even though in 2021, that was the precedent of discussing the validity of basic law, but it was not struck down. That was the Jewish nation basic law that was passed in 2020 or 2021, I believe.
1: Up until two years ago, the basic law acted pretty much as a constitution and then it looks like what's been happening since then is the Supreme Court started acting in a way which says, actually, we have the ability to change the quote-unquote constitution because it's not a constitution.
2: Is that or, accurate? Correct. Basically, the Supreme Court right now is having the cake and eating it too, or eating it and having it too, rather. They say that they have the power to strike down regular laws based on the basic law because they are like constitution, but they can also strike down basic laws because, essentially, yeah.
1: Okay. The beginning of the conversation of striking down a basic law was a big point of tension. Where did that tension begin? Aaron Barak, the president of the Supreme Court, enacted this change that the Supreme Court will now have the right to strike down basic laws. How come there wasn't an uproar or an uprising when that was enacted and it didn't blow up until 2021?
2: There was some pushback, and this pushback kept on growing and growing over the years. But what we need to remember was the timing. The Supreme Court made the decision, the Baka Mizrahi decision of 1995, which basically turned Israel into a constitutional democracy from being a parliamentary de- democracy that doesn't have a constitution. And the courts don't have the power to perform judicial review into a constitutional de- democracy like the United States or France or Germany. And they did it by not striking down a law, but saying they have the power to do so, which is a method that they used over and over again uh, along the years. They would mention that they have the power to do something. They wouldn't do it. So not to rock the boat too much. And then two years later, oh, yeah, nothing happened since then. So now we're actually going to, to do it. And when the blowback would come, they would say, oh, what happened? Two years ago, we said it and you said nothing. They did it over and over again. This decision, Makam Mizrahi decision, was was published a week after the assassination of the uh, late Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, who we all know was assassinated by Yigar Amir in 1995 in a vicious political assassination. And the public just was not obviously paying attention. But there was pushback, and the pushback kept on growing along the years.
1: You tell, could you tell the thing about the newspaper, above the fold, below the fold?
2: Sure, yeah. So Yediot Not, which is like the New York Times of Israel, or I don't know. the the most widely spread newspaper in Israel. Maybe I can pull up the cover from the morning of of that day, November or December of 1995, when the Supreme Court published it. And you see the cover, like everything is about the assassination and the funeral and the this and the that, and Bill Clinton is coming to the funeral and and all those things. And then in a small, tiny report with half a paragraph, it says, by the way, the Supreme Court made this decision that changes the way this country is being run after 47 years. So nobody really paid attention. But again, with the time went by and the Supreme Court became more and more brazen with its decisions and with its implementation of judicial review, to the point that in 2023, the, uh, 2022, in the elections of 2022, this was a central point in the elections. And it has so been what, in the last decade. Just, it, it took time to, to get this, cent- this centrality.
1: To get to the streets. Can you explain what that, what you're calling brazen behavior, what happened between 1995 and 2021? How many laws did the Knesset strike down? Did the Knesset enact that the Supreme Court struck down?
2: Yeah. Uh, So overall, 22 laws were struck down. In the last, just so you see the exponential growth, in the last decade, 11 so that you had 11 in the first 15 years, and then 11 more in the in 10 years. But what you need to remember is that it's not just the laws that, that were struck down. It's the fact that now the Knesset is subject to judicial review, which means that there is, in Hebrew, there is a saying that says, it bagatz. This is going to pass Bagat's review. Bagatz, the, 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 bagatz is the, the Supreme Court of Israel. That's it's the acronym. Uh, and... Which means that many things that would have become laws never did, because from the beginning, from the get go, they would say, "Oh no, it's not even going to pass Bagats." This is, uh, uh, and this is this whole thing of passing Bagats of, or not passing Bagats is a new thing. It's from 1995. Before right. that, it
1: sounds like it's acting like a third legislative branch. Correct. correct. Let's give two examples of laws that were struck down. What was the law? Was it struck down? Did it cause unrest in the country? and what was their rationale for striking it down
2: yeah the two there, there were there were many um, but the two that were the most that probably brought the public's attention what the supreme court was doing were one was about drafting Haredim ultra orthodox to the army and the second one was Im- the immigration acts four of which all of those four were struck down by the supreme court each one by the way was struck down brought back to the parliament with the reasons why it was struck down by the Supreme Court. The Knesset addressed those issues and it, it was struck down again four different times. And that is in a time that the South Tel Aviv became an unlivable place um, for the population that Let, lived there before.
1: Let's explain what the laws are. Let's start with the one uh, on the ultra-Orthodox. And just for background for our audience, in Israel, there is mandatory military service. That being said the ultra-Orthodox, are exempt from that service and that causes a lot of tension. It seems like an issue that comes up in the Knesset every once in a while. Please explain what the law was that they were trying to enact and why it was struck down and on what basis.
2: Yeah. Uh, Like you said, there's um, mandatory military service in Israel. Uh, Every 18-year-old boy or girl need to get drafted for uh, two or three years. And uh, the Haredim are essentially not doing it. The ultra are about 10% of the population, something like that. And they simply do not want, at least they do not want to be forced into the army. And every time the parliament, I think three times the parliament was trying to pass a law, the last time I believe it was with the support of Yair Lapid. It, it was not even a right-wing law. It, it, it was a law that people in Israel understood that just needs to pass to solve this issue. And the issue what was is the, law?
1: the law was the law basically the law
2: exempted a- the the ultra orthodox from uh, drafting to the military, so they would have to stay so, in yeshiva. Like, so they'd have right now. The, lo- the law says the way for them to legally not go to the army means that they have to stay in yeshiva in the in the religious school until they the age of twenty six. They cannot go to university. They cannot work legally. So they have to be unproductive in a yeshiva until the age of twenty six, which is that, very that, very. Which I'm is sure very- a lot of
1: Orthodox people will be very offended that you're saying that someone staying in a Yeshiva is unproductive. Uh, <laughs> explain oh, it's why. Choice to get offended. Why is the government saying you don't have to go to the army, but you have to stay in an ultra-orthodox educational institution? What's the rationale there?
2: The rationale is to show that okay you 're not going to the army but you're doing something else, so the, the, they came like the Jewish mind we came up with a solution uh, just like we have an elevator that we can use on Shabbos or some solutions like that basically we're not going the water attacks don't go to the army but they contribute in the sense that they are what's called to monoto which mean, which translate translates into his studies are his art until the age of 26 and now by the age of 26 if somebody didn't go to the army for any reason until the age of 26 they're already dis- released from from duty that's why it's un- until they're
1: really 26. because they're really old at that point they're really <laughs>
2: old and, they, and they, yes i want to ex- explain why even Yair lapid supported this law the reason is because it is harmful for the country for the economy that people from the age of 18 to 26 are unproductive they don't go to university they don't know they don't work this lag stays with them decades ahead.
1: Right. And this, par- this segment of the population, the ultra-Orthodox, are also marrying much younger and having kids much earlier. Correct. So their expenses are significant and they're relying on the government. Correct. The a, government. They are
2: a huge burden on the welfare uh, system in Israel also. Yes, correct. They are basically the biggest consumers of welfare. And the uh, smallest contributors of taxes.
1: That's the situation, and that's the existing law, where if you don't want to go to the army, fine, don't go, but you have to stay in this yeshiva. And there's this law that you're talking about that your LLP tried to pass, which...
2: The law essentially says that instead of 26, after the age of 21, they're already exempt from serving in the military. That's the and, essence of it.
1: And then if they don't want to serve in the military, they could still go to university or start working.
2: They can do They're yes, a free citizen, yeah.
1: Okay. The Supreme Court struck that law down. Yes. Why?
2: One of the basic laws that were passed in the nineties in nineteen ninety-two is called human dignity, and from which the Supreme Court derived the right for equality. And from which the Supreme Court decided that it is unequal that a guy from Hoda Sharon, from a secular place in Israel, has to good to army, but his peer from Daybrok, from the from the Orthodox neighborhood is exempt and and basically doesn't have to go to the arm. Uh, Which is
1: ironic because if the basic law is about human dignity, you would think humans should have the dignity to choose whatever they want to do.
2: Correct. It's funny that the, yeah, the equality here Trump's a Soviet style equality. We're all equal in our misery that we have to spend 3 years in our. Correct. It's a very um, good point.
1: Okay, so the Supreme Court struck that down. Correct. And what's the reaction?
2: There what- so yeah. it's, it's a very good question. So not only that, the Supreme Court even struck down the, the existing situation, which I just mentioned about staying in Yeshiva until you're 26. The thing is, the Haredi community is not going to the army. It's not like this. they say, oh, the Supreme Court said that we have to go to the army, so now we're going to start to go to the army. No, they still don't go to the army and the country and the, the state does not have the resources to put 100,000 people in jail now because they don't go to the army. Which puts the whole thing, which ridicule the whole thing. And there's a famous saying that the Supreme Court doesn't have a sword nor a wallet. It only has the public trust. And here, there's no trust. The Haredi are not going to say, oh, we're going to listen. It just doesn't work this way. But that does not change anything for the Supreme Court. They decided what they decided and that's it and damn so, with the so that- with the ramifications to the economy and to the public stability and instead of
1: so that means that since that law was passed and then struck down essentially every ultra orthodox male between the age of 18 and 26 is an illegal if Yet, he doesn't go to not interview.
2: not really, because since then what happened was that the the state kept on asking for deference from the, the court, and the court since the court understood that it is not going to put hundred thousand or hundred fifty thousand Haredi men between the ages of eighteen and twenty-six in jail, kept on granting this deference. So it's a joke. So, it's really a joke.
1: So right now it's still technically just something that's being kicked down the road. Correct. Okay. And what is the law of the land that you mentioned with the immigration?
2: Okay, immigration. Since 2007, Israel is trying, the Israeli governments, in 2007, by the way, it was Olmert in power, not a right-winger. And most of the governments- ended up that, in that, prison. Correct. But uh, since 2007, and most of the government since then, people forget it, until 22, really. The governments were center-right at best, I mean, in 2009, Hewlett Barak was the Minister of Defense. In 2011, I think Tzipi Livni was Minister of, uh, of Foreign Affairs. Maybe I'm confusing the years a little bit, but that was the case. You had uh, center-to-center-right governments. The Likud was the, the main axis, but yeah. And all those governments tried to pass those laws. And the last one was struck down in, uh, in March 2023, this year. Every time, and I think I mentioned it before, every, it was four times that it's called in Hebrew the law of the illegal immigrants or migrants. And the idea was to build an incentive structure for them not to come into Israel and the ones who already came to leave. The, the thing is, they came in illegally. And if all those illegal immigrants know that all they need to do is just to stay here long enough until just doesn't feel right to tell them to leave or to deport them, it's a problem. But every country needs to control the amount of people that gets into the country, including our country and every country in Europe understand it definitely now. So this incentive structure was, please, they tried to put it in place. And for some short time, it was even implemented. And every time it was very interesting, every time for those four times, it was implemented for a few months until the Supreme Court would strike it down. In those four months, the illegal immigration would decrease them dramatically. Every time the Supreme Court would strike it down, it would spike back up uh, right after. And it, it puts a big burden on, on South and Tel Aviv, where uh, uh, many of them are concentrated. Neighborhoods there and the uh, population there essentially paying the price for these policies. Crime there is rampant. And with the government and the Knesset's hands are tight. They tried four times.
1: Down. Sounds like a similar problem to the U.S. with illegal immigration. What was the rationale for the Supreme Court striking down uh, this attempt at curbing illegal immigration one four
2: times? The, one of the clauses that the Supreme Court in Israel is using is called yut, which means measurement. Is the mm-
1: Is that a basic law?
2: No, this is something that the Supreme Court, so clauses of the Supreme Court are things that uh, the Supreme Court is developing along the years in decisions, how basically they implement laws, what tests to put the, uh, the decisions uh, up to. So since 1985, one of the things that, that were developed is this measurement, things need to be measured. So you cannot pass a law that is unmeasured or unproportional. I think proportion, maybe proportional is, is a better word here. I was uh, transliterating it. So if it is unproportional to the problem, if you have a problem and, and your solution in law is disproportionate to the problem, then that could be a reason to strike down the law. And that's the reason they used, definitely the last time, I believe also the first three, uh, but I may be wrong, maybe it's used some other causes, but the last time was it was uh, proportionality.
1: So the Supreme Court said the problem of illegal immigration isn't as great as the legislature is making it out to be. And for that reason, we're not going to allow the legislature to pass laws against illegal immigration.
2: Correct. Correct.
1: Okay. I mean, to me, that sounds like a Supreme court is assuming a lot of power. Correct. If I were a voter, I would say, what's the point of voting in a government? If every law that they pass that the Supreme court doesn't like, mm. they could just strike down. Th- these laws that the the ultra orthodox law and the illegal immigration law they seem quite recent when did this start becoming in 1995 when iron barak said that the supreme court has a right to strike down laws it looks like it passed unnoticed and then slowly the supreme court has been striking down more laws and then very recently striking down basic laws which is the equivalent of saying we're changing the constitution Where where's the israeli public on this and it sounds the way you're describing it shouldn't everyone be up in arms against this why is there such a strong divide on this
2: so the israeli public is split uh, there was actually just came out uh, um a poll about it and there is about a third which wants a reform. They say either the Supreme Court has these powers, but then the Supreme Court has to be democratically elected. So people have a say in who is actually holding this power. Um, or and vice versa, you just take away the, this power from the Supreme Court, or both, actually, because we can trust the Supreme Court. That's like We trusted the Supreme Court before that, when it, was un- when it is undemocratically elected, and it abused its power. That's a one-third. Then you have close to 50%, about 45, 40 to 45% on the other extreme, who say no by all means. And these are usually people, most of, about 90% of these people are minorities, in other words, Arabs, and left-wing uh, leaning people who politically enjoy the situation. They don't have to have a majority in the Knesset in order to change policies or to preserve some rights they want to preserve, or to hurt other people's rights that they don't like. And then you have about 20% in the middle who are leaning to the right, not politically, but in the sense that they understand that the current situation is just unsustainable. You cannot have a viable democratic country in which the Supreme Court has another hat as another legislative, like you said before that the first legislative has to basically go through and get the agreement of. Similarly to America, you have the House of Representatives and the Senate. Or in England, you have House of Commons and the House of Lords. They made themselves the House of Lords, essentially. And just like the House of Lords, they're not democratically elected. Uh, So that's the distribution.
1: Right now, we have a situation where the government was elected by a majority of the voters to change this. The voters are saying... This doesn't feel very democratic where we're electing a government and they can't legislate. Let's change the relationship with the judicial review. I I want you to outline what the proposed plan for the judicial reform is. But just to get to the core of the question, if every single reform that the legislature will pass to keep a balance or to maybe create a healthier balance between the Supreme Court and the Knesset, is going to be struck down by the Supreme Court, what is going to happen? It sounds like a constitutional crisis.
2: So, yeah, that's the biggest problem. Because right now, the Supreme Court said we can do anything. And some members of Knesset say what we're going to do is we're going to create a constitutional court. The Israeli Supreme Court is the same as the highest court, meaning that we just, in any regular case, you can appeal until you get to the Supreme Court. Or the Supreme Court has two hats it has the regular hat, the regular highest court in the land, and it has the hat of constitutional court. And what some members of the Knesset say is, okay, now we'll just create a new constitutional court that will be democratically elected and and it will only have the the right to discuss those issues. But like you say... ...down
1: the constitutional court as
2: well. Exactly, exactly. That could happen. Who who wants competition? What the supporters of the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court itself are saying is that all the Knesset needs to do is to pass what's called the Belchakika, basic law of the legislature, in which they will say how a basic law is enacted. And then they will say, then we'll respect it. Then if you do it and you say basic law needs, for example, a special majority, and it needs to have four votes, not just three like regular laws, and it is going to only start being in effect in the next Knesset, blah, blah, blah. That's what they're talking. This has two problems. The first one is, let's say the Knesset says, okay, fine, we'll do it. Who says that it will not, like you said, they will not strike it down? They say, you know what? It's not a good legislative basic law. You change it. Okay? Until they agree that this is a good way to do a basic law of legislature. (laughs) But let's say they agree. Okay? Let's say they agree. Who says that they will not pull the same shtick again? Right. I mean, they already showed that they can do it. Why would I, as a voter, as a supposed sovereign in my own country, well, I don't live in Israel anymore, but. Somebody who who does, let's say Moshe from Jerusalem, saying the government is supposed to be for me, supposed to be, what's the the three?
1: By the people, for the people.
2: Yeah, for the people, by the people, and whatever. It is not by the people, is my point. It is not by the people. And again, we go back just like you said. The Supreme Court basically proved that it cannot be trusted. And it's so ironic because they did all those things because they said we cannot trust the Knesset. That's their logic. They say they abused. Hayut said it. Esther Hayut, who's the chief justice Justice of the Supreme Court, said, you cannot use a temporary uh, majority in the Knesset to make these kind of changes while using her own temporary majority in the Supreme Court. Because if this would have been appealed now, there was actually a majority to keep the law in place because she and another progressive judge are uh, retiring now. So the whole thing is, yeah, is it final.
1: Okay, but the Supreme Court is essentially saying if we don't trust the legislature, they're also saying we don't trust the public, the voters
2: Correct. to enact law. I want to say something, if I may and just make a point in two minutes. The Supreme Court, like I said before, only has the public's trust. And there's two ways to, to get this trust. One is to say I'm totally professional. I am not an activist and I am not uh, a conservative. I look at the law and I try to make the best judgment from the law, okay? And then if you're not democratically elected, you can gain this trust by just being professional, not going into those political issues saying, I I don't know better than the average voter, or my opinion does not count more, or is not worth more than the average voter. That's the way that that until 1995, the Supreme Court enjoyed 85 to 90% uh, of trust in the polls because that's what they did, and they were pretty good at it. If
1: the Supreme Court is essentially the final arbiter of any law and anything that they don't like can be stricken down, does that mean that this is a cycle that's impossible to get out of?
2: Nothing is impossible. And the reality is stronger than any Supreme Court decision. I'll to say two things to, to, uh, to finish off here. The first one is that we, you, you've mentioned... Constitutional crises. Really, since 1995, every decision of the Supreme Court, in my in my, in my view, but that overstepped its uh, its boundaries, was a constitutional crisis. The only thing is the Knesset, fo- the Knesset and the, and the government folded every time. They never said no. They never actually turned it into a constitutional crisis. At some point, they may say, "Thank you very much, dear Supreme Court, but you are overstepping your boundaries. You're overstepping your authority, and you." It is a great op-ed for the New York Times, but it has no legal standing. And then the question is, what's going to happen? Is the army or the economy or the populace, who are they going to listen to? Now, in the past year, it looked like many of the security forces and people in the economy said that they would side with the Supreme Court. It may change. Who knows? Second thing I want to say,
1: say. But even if the generals and the important people, whatever side with the, uh, with the Knesset and not with the Supreme Court, that's still bad because a country needs a Supreme Court.
2: Correct. But then when the Supreme Court sees that it makes decisions and nobody listens to them, they look stupid. So they stop making those decisions. And a good example, in 1859, there was a case brought to the Supreme Court of America challenging the constitutionality of slavery. And the Supreme Court decided that slavery was constitutional, and not only that, that also federal law that says that fleeing slaves from the slavery states to the free states had to be essentially extradited back to the slave states by the authorities. And that was a federal law, and that trumped the state laws. We all know what happened right after, in 1862, the Civil War started, by 1865 or 1866, there was no one slave in America left.
1: And an amendment to the Constitution.
2: An yes, an amendment to, to the Constitution was passed, correct. I just hope that in Israel we wouldn't have to go through a civil war to get out of Egypt. Let's call it this way.
1: Wow. I feel like Israel has enough wars on its borders. It really doesn't need another internal one. This is a frightening conversation, but one that I really appreciate because I think it offers an alternative perspective to
0: the main narrative thank you
2: thank you ST. it was a pleasure
0: i learned a lot from this episode and i hope you did too if you'd like to follow the ST show the link is in the show notes stay tuned for the future episodes on the show thank you for all your messages feedback and suggestions for new topics and new guests so keep writing in keep sending messages if you like this show, It's so easy to give back. All you have to do is write a review in the podcast app that you're listening to this podcast on. And if you want a bonus way to help me, you can share this podcast with a friend. So thank you for that and stay safe. See you next time.